in your Bibles to the book of Micah. If you're using one of the chair Bibles, it'll be on page 776. Dr. Gary Smith, in his commentary on the book of Micah, refers to chapter 2 as, quote, the reason why Judah is God's enemy. In one sense, chapter 2 is a continuation of what we saw last week in presenting the bigness and the glory and the holiness of God that will bring justice on wickedness and sin. Today, as it is a continuation of it, there is a change in that Micah, in one sense, is acting like the prosecuting attorney against Judah and sharing with them, more specifically, the charges, why they are being brought uh, under judgment. As Micah speaks... God's word to the people and confronts them in their sin, which is the job of a prophet. We're going to deepen our understanding of our sin, of the wickedness that we have and commit. But unlike chapter 1, the other difference in chapter 2 is that chapter 2 ends in hope. And so as we better grasp the glory and the holiness of God, which helps us better understand the depths of our wickedness and our sin, this will then lead us to a greater understanding of the salvation we have in Christ. So let's look at Micah chapter 2. And we're going to start with the charge of the wicked leaders of the people of Israel who were oppressing God's people. Let's start in verse 1, follow along as I read verses 1 and 2. Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in, it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. As I said, Micah here acting as the prosecuting attorney brings before the people the crimes which they have committed. Look at the process of their wickedness as seen in verse 1. This judgment... That's why he says, woe to those. That's a, it's a way that the Bible talks about judgment is coming upon them. They devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. Micah is presenting a picture of not accidental wickedness, of planned, premeditated, beginning in the heart wickedness. They take time to plan out how they will break God's law. And then they perform the wicked deeds they have planned. 
Look at the second part of verse 1. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. Look at this description of sin. First of all, they do it because they can. They've been corrupted by the power they have, the ability that they have. And they not only plan wickedness, but carry it out in their lives. But look at how the second part of verse 1 begins. When the morning dawns, they perform it. The boldness of wickedness of doing it in broad daylight. There is no shame. Normally when you think of wicked deeds, you think of something done under the cover of night when no one's watching, but these people are so brazen in their wickedness that they don't care who sees. They do not even seek the cover of nighttime to commit acts against God. And what do they do? They covet fields and seize them and houses and take them away. They oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Now this is where we grow in our understanding that the people Micah is first targeting in his words are those who are in power, who have status, who have the ability to steal land from people. Now we probably can't connect really well with this, but what I want us to see is the oppression from those in power on those who are powerless, taking advantage of those who don't have the status that they have. But even more than that, what I think is helpful to see is that this is in direct violation of God's law. The land for the people of Israel was given to them by God. It was the promised land, and everyone was portioned out their part of the promised land. And so, Moses writes in Numbers 36-7, The inheritance of the people of Israel shall not be transferred from one tribe to another. For every one of the people of Israel shall hold on to the inheritance of the tribe of his father. If there's one thing that's clear in the Old Testament law is you don't steal another Israelite's land because God gave that to him and it's not yours to take. The boldness of wickedness. There is no shame. They do not care that God's word has told them not to do this, and they do it anyway. So, what will God do? Let's look at verse 3. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, Against this family I am devising disaster from which you cannot remove your necks. You shall not walk haughtily, for it will be a time of disaster. In that day they shall take up a taunt song against you and moan bitterly and say, We are utterly ruined. He changes the portion of my people, how he removes it from me. To an apostate, he allots our fields. 
Therefore, you will have none to cast the line by lot in the assembly of the Lord. What will God do to those who have oppressed his people and stolen their land? He will bring judgment on them. He will judge their wickedness. And it is a judgment that they cannot escape. Look at the end of verse 3. From which you cannot remove your necks, and you shall not walk haughtily. God will humble the powerful who have oppressed the rest of his people. Those who are mighty, those who had status and power, will be brought low by God. They will be, they will be given the disaster that they have brought on others. And then verse 4, which is a little hard to understand, but I think the best understanding is what one commentator called a brief sarcastic lament. So sarcasm is in the Bible. And here it is. They are being mocked because they are saying, those who have stolen land from others, those who were rich and powerful who stole land from others, here's what they are saying. We are utterly ruined. The people who ruined the poor people of Israel are now themselves ruined. He changes the portion of my people. God took away my land. Well, they were the ones taking the land from everybody else. How he removes it from me. To an apostate, he allots our fields. Here's what we need to see here about the justice of God. Number one, justice will come. And that's a good thing. I don't know if we think about this all the time, but you want to live in a world where God is just. And God will punish wickedness. But the other part of God's justice that we see here is that we can trust God's justice to be perfectly fair. Here is an example of the punishment perfectly fitting the crime. God doesn't fly off the handle in sheer anger. His justice is perfect. And in one sense, we can trust his justice to be the right justice to be done. The punishment with God always fits the crime. And so the people who are stealing land from those who are lower status than them, he will take their land from them. It's perfect justice. One of the things that this needs to speak to us then is one to trust in the justice of God to be done, but also that we are called to be people of justice. God matter, it matters to God how you treat your neighbor. Here's an example of people mistreating and oppressing their neighbors, their fellow countrymen. And God is angered by what they have done. 
So if we are to truly be God's people, we are to act in the same just way that he acts. We are not to oppress those who are less fortunate than us. We are to, in our ways that we can, bring about justice in our society and in our sphere of influence. Because if we don't, God will bring justice on us. One of the things that Micah shows us here is that what you believe about God, and if you belong to him, you will live a life of justice just as he lives a life of justice. How we treat each other, how we treat people in our community matters to God And that wickedness is bringing oppression and injustice into our world. So we need to follow the justice that God shows. So Micah, in bringing his charges against the people, showing them their guilt before God, he presents this picture of injustice, this picture of oppression by those in power. But secondly, if you're following along in your outline, you're there, we also see that the wicked leaders who will not listen. The wicked leaders are acting unjustly, but they are also not listening to the word of God. Let's look at verses 6 to 11. Here they're saying, Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. Here, it is probably best understood that the people are talking to Micah. And he is presenting his case to the people. And he is saying, you are guilty before God and you need to repent. And they're saying, no, 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 no. Don't talk about those things. Do not preach, thus they preach. One should not preach of such things. Disgrace will not overtake us. They're denying that God will judge their wickedness. Should this be said, O house of Jacob, has the Lord grown impatient? Are these his deeds? Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? In verse 7, Micah confronts the people in that their speaking against him is actually their misunderstanding of God. They are saying, don't preach about judgment because our God doesn't do judgment. Has the Lord grown impatient? Yes. Yes, he has. They are only thinking of God as a nice God who never brings judgment. They are missing the full picture of God and are only taking the parts that they like. Are these his deeds? Does God judge 
wickedness. Yes, yes, he does. Let me read to you from Exodus chapter 34, verses 6 and 7. This is God describing himself. It's a very important passage because it's God talking about himself. So it's one of those times we should really listen because this is what God wants us to know about himself. God is describing himself as a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Amen and amen. This is who God is. The problem is, this is not just who God is. Let me read to you what comes right next. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Here's the problem with Israel during Micah's time. They're taking the parts of God that they like and ignoring the parts that they don't care for. They're creating a God who's a buffet. And they're taking a little here, and a little here, and you know what, I don't want broccoli. I don't want any vegetables today. So I'm gonna go back to the fried chicken for seconds. Here's what we need to understand. That as we saw last week and as we continue to see today, one of our problems is that our view of God is too small. And we try to treat the omnipotent God of the universe like a buffet. We discard what isn't tasteful. We discard what doesn't fit how we're feeling that day instead of understanding the majesty and glory of God. Listen to the last question in verse 7. Do not my words do good to him who walks uprightly? To walk uprightly is a way that the Old Testament talks about someone who follows God. One of God's people. If you belong to God, you walk uprightly. And again, the assumed answer is, if you are truly following God, then Micah's words are good to you. So guess what? If you don't like what Micah is saying, you're not walking uprightly. You're not actually following God, you're following yourself. In verse 8, Micah shows that when we ignore God's word, as his people have done, as if, if we ignore the prophets like Micah is being ignored here, it'll show up in our lives. So let's read verses 8 to 10. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. When we ignore God's word... We become God's enemy. How do you know? You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war.
Think about what he's saying there. Think about what he's describing. When he says, with no thought of war. You turn innocent people into the, like they were soldiers in a war. You engage them in combat to steal their stuff. You loot them like you were a raiding party in war. The women of my people, you drive out from their delightful houses. You steal homes from women. Now, the fact that women are mentioned probably speaks to the fact that he's referring to widows. You're going to steal a widow's house. From their young children, you take away my splendor forever. It's probably a reference to the fact of taking away the inheritance of children. Again, that inheritance which was God-given. I don't know about you, but if I had a choice to take away God's blessing from a child or not doing that, I would probably not do that. But that's what they've done. They've taken a gift from God to the children and they've stolen it away. Again, showing the depth of their depravity and their sin. Arise and go, for this is no place to rest because of uncleanness that destroys with a grievous destruction. Again, a reminder, God will bring justice on those who act in this way. Who ignore his word, who ignore what he's said, and live lives of wickedness. And then in verse 11, we get this wonderful picture of the type of preacher that these people deserve. Okay, you want a preacher who will just tell you what you want to hear? I've got the perfect one for you. Again, there's a little bite to Micah's words here, and we need to feel that bite. If a man should go about and utter wind and lies... (laughs) saying, I will preach to you of wine and strong drink. He would be the preacher for this people. You don't want to hear what I have to say, Micah's saying? You don't want to hear what God's word is actually saying? You know, here's the prophet. You want this guy? He's going to speak wind to you. (laughs) Nothing. He's going to speak nothing to you, and he's even going to lie to you. And the content of this drunk preacher is talking about his drinking. <laughs> Picture is of a worthless preacher because he's telling them what he, they want to hear and not the truth. Paul had something to say about this in 2 Timothy 4 verse 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. This is a warning to us to always be listening to God's word. To ignore it would lead to a life of wickedness and judgment To only hear what we want to hear would lead us away from the truth. 
thank God he doesn't give us what we deserve. I want you to feel the weight that that's the preacher you and I deserve. The windbag drunk. But what did God give us instead? Let's look at verses 12 to 13. I will surely assemble all of you, O Jacob. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold, like a flock in its pasture, a noisy multitude of men. He who opens the breach goes up before them. They break through and pass the gate, going out by it. Their king passes on before them. The Lord is at their head. As we've seen so far in Micah, judgment is pictured in terms of captivity and exile. Captivity meaning they will come under the power of another nation. Exile meaning they will be kicked out of their land. That's been how judgment has been presented to us in the book of Micah so far. So people under the threat of captivity and exile, what do they want? They want freedom, and they want to be brought back to the land. Look at what verses 12 and 13 talk about. Verse 12, I will surely assemble all of you. I will gather the remnant of Israel. I will set them together like sheep in a fold. Here is a picture of God's people being brought back and brought together, restored to right relationship with their God. They are like sheep, I love this line, a noisy multitude of men. (laughs) So many people, so much activity, it's noisy, it's loud, like a bunch of sheep. But they've been gathered back. They've been restored to their home. And then in verse 13, we see the freedom. We see the freedom from captivity. He who opens the breach goes up before them. There's a crashing of the gates. They break through and pass the gate going out by it. This person who's leading them to freedom, this flock, this this shepherd is leading them out. Right? We're going to mix some metaphors here in a second. (laughs) Who is he? He's their king. But even more, who is he? He is the Lord. Now, we've got a king, we've got a shepherd, and we've got the Lord. Who's he talking about? John 10, 11. I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. In Jesus Christ, all three of these offices come together. He is the Lord himself. He is the king over all, and he is the shepherd of his people. Micah introduces to us what will be revealed later as the only hope to escape 
the judgment for our wickedness. The only hope that we have is Jesus Christ. When the shepherd king comes and lays down his life for his sheep, dies on the cross and rises again, we are restored and set free from our sin. Micah here gives the first breath of hope in the book of Micah. And again, I think the way he did it is so intentional. Presenting the holiness of God, the glory of God, which helps us understand the depth of our sin. And when we truly understand the depth of our sin, we can understand the greatness of our salvation as the only way to escape, the only way to be set free from captivity to sin. Let me conclude with a couple applications for us today. First is this. It is a fact that God will judge wickedness and injustice. This brings peace to those who experience injustice and it should bring fear to those who act in wickedness. But it is something that you can count on will happen. It's not something that might happen. It will happen. And for those of us who know Jesus Christ, that brings peace, knowing that God will bring judgment, perfect judgment on all wickedness. Secondly, God's people must live lives of justice. God is committed to justice, and so must we. And in the ways that we are able, we must promote justice in our world. Because that is a mark of God's people. Because if you know God, you know he's a God of justice. And if you know him, you will want to live a life of justice. If you're not living a life of justice, I would question whether you know that God is a God of justice. Number three. Wickedness and a lack of repentance come from ignoring God's word. The people in Micah's day did not want to listen to him. They're saying, don't, don't preach that. Don't tell us that. We don't want to hear it. Pre- tell us something we want to hear. And that led them further into their wickedness. And then fourthly, the only hope in the face of God's perfect justice is Jesus the Good Shepherd. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we do not have to face judgment for our sin. There's hope because as you're reading this book, as I'm reading this book, we can't, we can't relate to Micah. We have to relate to the people. And that apart from Jesus Christ, we are the wicked people who plan it on their beds and commit acts of wickedness in broad daylight. But there is hope. There's one hope. There's one hope, and that is the King Shepherd, Jesus Christ. 
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the book of Micah, that we would better understand who you are in your holiness and love, your justice and your mercy. That we would be quick to repent of our sins, that we would humble ourselves before you. And that we would find our hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone. We thank you that you sent your son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to set free those under the law, that we would be restored to you and have the hope of eternal life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. So oh.